What's up, Rising? How are we doing tonight? Very good. It is so good to see you guys. Um, and before we get started on our new series, like Nate said, called Fam, um, first of all, I just want to start off by just saying how proud um, I am of each of you guys in this room. Last week, some of you, um, you came up to the front of this room and you committed to things that you have, honestly, some of you never committed to before in your life. Some of you came up here and you committed um, to pursuing a friend that you've never pursued before. Some of you committed um, to giving up your, your time or your talents to God. And some of you even came up here and said, um, for the first time ever, I am, I am going to use what God has given me financially and I am going to give back to him. And something that um, I just want to celebrate with you guys is we went through like some of your or all of your cards and, and we realized that as a rising just the rising, not counting adults, middle school, anything like that, just the rising, um, you all pledged to give over $30,000 over the next two years. Yes, you can clap for that. Um, some of you are like, I only did this much. How? It's a perfect example of what Jacob was talking about last week, how God can take something which we think is really, really small, and he can turn it into um, something incredible, and that's what God has done in and through each one of you. And so from myself, from your small group leaders, the rest of this staff, we are extremely proud of you. And like Nate said, tonight we are starting a brand new series called FAM. Everybody look at the person next to you and say, what up, FAM? Is that still a thing anymore? Do people say that at all? No, okay, I'm just old. That's cool. Um, we're starting a new series. Setting the Table is done, and we're moving on, and we are going to talk about this idea of family dynamics. For Actually, for the next three weeks, we're going to dive in and answer some questions like, man, what does Jesus have to say about different family dynamics? What does Scripture have to say about um, different things within our families? Um, what does it look like to, to be truly obedient to our parents. How many of you in this room struggle with that on a daily basis? 100%, a lot of us in here do. And tonight, we're gonna try to answer this question, two questions. Why is my family so crazy? Okay, why is my, or maybe we would say it like this, why is my family um, so messy? And then the second question is this, is my family the only messed up family? I don't know if any of you in here have ever thought of that in your head before. Like, man, you look at your parents, you look at your siblings, you look at your stepbrother, stepsister, whatever it is, and you're like, man, my family is just messy. And you begin to ask this question, is my family the only messy family? Spoiler alert, no, it is not. Your family is not the only messy family. And the reason I love this series is because I think that it resonates with every single person in this room. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't even have a family. Uh, my family is so broken that I, I legitimately, I do not even have a family. But here is what I know, and here's a conclusion that, that we can come to tonight, is that everybody knows something about family dynamics. Whether or not you come in here tonight and you are from like the quote-unquote perfect family, where your parents are still married, where your brothers and sisters on the, on the outside always get along, or maybe you're coming in here tonight and you're from a divorced home, you're coming in here tonight and, and you've been going um, in and out of different foster homes, you're coming in here tonight and, and you are adopted. What I know is this, everybody in this room can relate to this idea of family. And the second conclusion that we can come to is this, you're going to see it up on the screen, if you're taking notes, write this down. Every family has a story. 
Every family has a story. I don't care what your family looks like, doesn't look like. I don't care what your family has done or hasn't done. Everybody's family has a story. Your family might be perceived as the perfect family on Instagram. Your family might be perceived as the messed up family in your school. But what I know through all of that is that every family has a story. Three years ago, um, my wife and I, we, I guess, officially started our family. On Friday, the 28th, my, my son, my oldest son, he turned three years old, okay? And when I look back, I'm like, I cannot believe that he is three. I can't believe I'm old enough to have a three-year-old. I can't believe I'm old enough to have um, not, not only a three-year-old, but, but two kids. And when I say every family has a story, here's what I mean, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples. When you look at different families, and I know some of you probably all of us in this room have done this at one time or another. We've looked at families and we have said, man, I wish my family was as perfect as fill in the blank. I wish my family was as perfect as my friend's family. I wish my family looked the way that this family does, but I want you guys to know that every family has a story. It doesn't matter what they look like on the outside. It doesn't matter what they look like on Instagram. Every family has a story. And the reason I know this is because I have a family. And when I post on Instagram, I make sure that we use the pictures that look what? The best, right? Everybody does that. Like we use the pictures that are like, yes, that is our family. That's the real us. And I want to show everybody this quote unquote perfect family picture. Here's one that we took um, this past year at Easter, as you can see. Um, yes, see, exactly. Oh, I got that from my Instagram. That is my, my wife. That is my now three-year-old Conley on my lap. That is our now one-year-old Kavanaugh. And this is like, right, the perfect picture that we post on Instagram that says, Happy Easter. Um, what a great holiday. This is our family. We're here at Northside. But do you all know how long it took us to get this picture. <laughs> Do you have any idea how long it takes to get a, at that time, like a four-month-old and a two-year-old to cooperate and take a picture. What we tried to do, that I'm going to show you here in a second, that we didn't post on Instagram, we tried to get a, a brother picture, right? Just our two kids. And our two-year-old was not having it. This is kind of what was going on um, before we took this quote unquote perfect picture. Go to that next one for me, Sean. That right there, maybe my favorite part of that picture, the most underrated part, is Kavanaugh, who's the younger one. He's just like, why am I alive right now? Why, why am I here? What is happening? And this is me trying to be like, hey, let me get a picture of my two sons. Let me, let me get a picture of just you guys. And this is the one that right, nobody sees. Right? This is the one that we laugh at, or this is the one that we, we delete. But on the outside, on Instagram, that first one, it looks like, man, our kids are super well-behaved. Man, our kids, they, they always listen to us 100% of the time, and I wish that was true. I wish that was true. Another example, um, like I said, on Friday, my, my son turned three, which means a year ago he turned two. If you're a math scholar in this room, you know that. He turned two, and on his two-year-old... Um, birthday party, he got what's called RSV, okay, which is like a really bad cold for a two-year-old. So he was not having it. Um, this is the first picture that we took of him on his birthday. Look at that. 
perfect, right? He's got his Jordans on. He's got his shirt on that says and tells everyone how old he is. He's like smiling. You can see his like red cheeks. That's like him being super sick. Go to the next one. Oh man, he's cracking up, right? He just saw like, I probably dropped something on the ground. He's like, oh, my dad's an idiot. Look at that. And, but I promise you, all these pictures, I'm going to show you four of them. That was the first two. All these pictures were taken in a matter of 15 seconds. Here's the next one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if any of you know my son at all, that's it right there. Like, that's the picture that he gives you that look. He gives me that look all the time. Like, are you an idiot? Why are you taking my picture? And no lie, five seconds later, this last one, Sean, throw it up there. Just losing his mind. Like, he's so mad that we're taking his picture. But the ones that we post, right, are like the perfect ones. He's smiling. He's laughing. Yay. It's his two-year-old birthday party. Everyone is happy. I promise you that every single person that walked through those doors tonight, their family has a story. But here's what else I know, and here's what I really want you to take out of all those stories. God is in every single one of them. Yes, every family has a story, but God is in every story. And you might be thinking about your family right now. You might be thinking about the absence of your family right now. And you're thinking, there is no way that God could be in my story. There is no way that God could be in my family because you don't know what's going on in my family. You don't know what's been done to me in my family. You don't know what my family has gone through. And I want you to know that God is in every story, whatever your family story is, God is in it. And because of Jesus, which we're going to get to, there is hope for your family. And because of Jesus, your family has hope. And the reason I know this, and the reason we can come to this conclusion, is because when actually when you look at the family of Jesus, when you look at the heritage of Jesus, what you begin to realize is that the heritage and the family of Jesus is actually incredibly messy. Like if you look at your family and you thought your heritage or your family line what was kind of crazy, was kind of messy, I promise you it does not have anything on the heritage or the family of Jesus. His family is a mess. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 1. If you have a phone um, with the cool Bible app on it, um, go over to Matthew chapter 1. Sean, you can put that up there in a sec for me because um, I'm going to set this up for you. In Matthew chapter 1, um, we see the family and we see like the heritage of Jesus, okay? And I'm going to be completely honest. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, if I can be incredibly honest with you guys, this is a section of scripture that I skip over almost 100% of the time. Almost 100% of the time, I get, if I'm reading Matthew, I'm like, oh yeah, I know I can just go ahead and skip on down to verse 17 and get to the story of Jesus, and here's why. Verses 1 through 16, all it is is a bunch of names. All it is is like the heritage and the family of Jesus, and you begin to read Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of it, and it begins to get incredibly boring. Here's what it says, verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. Ooh, intriguing, right? The record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of that guy. That guy was the father of 
Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Ruth. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. I'm not even going to read the rest of it because that's literally all it is. Verses 1 all the way down to 16 is literally just the heritage and the ancestors of Jesus. It is just a list of names. But you see, what we need to understand in Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to go a little nerd on you guys here for like five seconds. What we need to understand is that Matthew, the people he's writing to, he's not necessarily writing to this group of people who doesn't understand any of that. He's writing to Jewish people. He's writing to Israelites, and when these Jewish people would read Matthew chapter 1, they would 100% understand everything that is going on in this section of Scripture. These Jewish people would have read these names like, oh yeah, I know who that person is, I know who that person is, I understand, okay, yeah, David was the father of Solomon, blah, 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 blah. They would understand this. You see, me and you reading Matthew chapter 1 is kind of like me reading the manual to my car. Okay, if you know anything about me, you know that I know nothing about cars and that I am not a car guy whatsoever. If I were to pick up the manual, in fact, as I'm saying this, I don't even know if that's a real thing. A manual to a car. I don't even know if that's real. But if I were to pick up the manual of my car and start going through the list and like reading this, I'd get to like, oh man, the, yeah, the air filter. That's like the thing that filters out the air and like, takes the bad air and turns it in, maybe it's important. I have no idea. Or I would get to like, oh, the engine. That's important, right? Like the big thing in the middle, surely that thing is important. Us reading this is just like me reading the manual to my car. We're just like, what the heck? And we would skim through everything. But the way the Israelites are reading this, that would be like me reading something to do with sports. Do we have any sports fans in the house right now? Okay, a few of you. Um, I have this weird thing, and I'm not bragging. I just have this weird thing where, and this is a, a nerd thing too, but about sports, but not about the Bible. I have this weird thing where there's all these professional basketball players, and for whatever reason, I know where all of them went to college. I don't know why. I've done this since I was like 10 to 12 years old, but like 90%, if you were to give me like a professional basketball player who plays in or who has played in the NBA, I would most likely know where that person went to college. And I don't know why, I just do. And so the Jewish people reading this, it would be like that. They would know all these names. In fact, a lot of them, they would have these names memorized. And not only would they know these names, they would know these stories. You see, as they're reading 1 through 16, they're like, oh yeah, I know that person. I know what he did. I know that person. I know what she did, and it was not good. I know that person, and I know the mess that they got themselves in. I know that dad and that mom, and they would understand and know the heritage of Jesus and the mess that it is. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. You're going to see it up on the screen. We get to a couple names. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Let me tell you guys a little bit about these people named Judah and Tamar. Okay? Judah was this man, and eventually he has three sons. All right? His first son, he marries Tamar. All right? And Tamar's like, I want you to get me pregnant so that our family line can continue, so that your family line can continue. Well, God looks down at Judah's first son and says, actually, you're wicked, nah, and like kills him. Just takes him off the earth. 
Well, Judah's like, well, I need my name to, to go on. I need my family line to go on. So he looks at Tamar and he says, hey, Tamar, you can have his brother. I'll just give you my second son. And you can have sex with my second son, and you can get pregnant by my second son, and then everything will be fine. Well, God looks down at Judah's second son named Onan and says, nah, he's wicked too. <laughs> Wipes him off the earth. Well, now Judah's like, well, I, I have one son left, and he's really young though. But Tamar, I, I, I promise you, when my third son is old enough to marry you, you can have my third son, and you can have a baby, and our family name, our family line will go on. But here's the deal. Judah was lying. He had already seen two sons get wiped off the earth. He had already seen two sons get taken away from him. So he's like, maybe it's Tamar. I, I don't want my third son to have anything to do with Tamar. So fast forward a few years, Tamar finds out about this, and she is not happy. Okay, because she's waiting on this third son. She is waiting on Judah's third son. And so Tamar is not happy, and she does what any sensible daughter-in-law would do. She gets Tamar, or she gets Judah to come to her hometown. She acts like a prostitute and has sex with him. That's what any sensible daughter-in-law would do, right? She literally stands on the side of the road, acting like a prostitute. Judah walks up and literally says, hey, how much to have sex with you. Tamar's like, I don't know, a couple goats. That's literally what it says. She, she, and she has sex with her father-in-law because she's acting like a prostitute. This is the family of Jesus. She literally says, how much you, will you pay? A few months later, a few months go by, and she's like, ha, surprise. LOL, it was me, I'm not a prostitute, I'm your daughter-in-law, and I'm pregnant. So we have a father-in-law who has sex with who he thinks is a prostitute. We have a daughter-in-law who's acting like a prostitute so that she can have sex with her father-in-law. Next one, there's a name in there, verse 5, you'll see it up on the screen, Rahab. In our last story, Tamar, she acted like a prostitute. In this story, Rahab, she actually was a prostitute, still in the family of Jesus. Next one, Ruth, great lady, book of the Bible called Ruth. This is all in the family of Jesus, all in the heritage of Jesus. But what we need to understand about Ruth is that at the beginning, she wasn't even an Israelite. Okay, she's not part of God's like chosen people. She's not part of God's family. She actually migrated to their land because of some, some different things that happened in her family. So what we can assume is that for a big bulk of her life, she did not worship the God that we worship. She did not worship the God that the Israelites worshiped. We can probably assume that at some point in her life, she was worshiping false idols and not the God who created the universe. Next one, David. Some of us know the story of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, he walks out on his roof. He sees another man's wife and says, bring her to me because I'm the king. I get what I want. He has sex with this woman named Bathsheba. Gets her pregnant, says, what have I done? I have to cover this up. Brings her husband home from war. Gets this man drunk and says, go have sex with your wife so that you can get her pregnant. Or people will think that you got her pregnant. That doesn't work. So what does David do? He sends this man off to war on the front lines and has him killed. Still the family of Jesus. Next one, Solomon, David's son. The Bible tells us he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Those are like side chicks, okay? That's all that is. Concubines are just like these, these women. He has 700 wives and 300 concubines. Quick recap. We have a man who thinks his daughter-in-law is a prostitute, so he has sex with her. 
We have a woman who acts like a prostitute so that she can have sex with her father-in-law. We have a real prostitute. We have an idol worshiper. We have an adulterer. We have a murderer. And we have a man with 700 wives and 300 side chicks. This, y'all, is the family, the heritage of Jesus. Right here. Like, man, my family was messy until I heard all these names. My family was a mess. And I'm not saying that, that I'm not downplaying your mess at all. Your, your mess might still be messy. But what I'm saying is this. Verse 16, we get down, we skip down to the only name that really matters. Throw verse 16 up there for us, Sean. It says this. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. You see, out of this heritage that we see right here, out of this heritage comes hope. Right, the hope of the world, the Messiah, Jesus. Out of the heritage that we just read about, out of all the craziness that we just read about, comes hope in his name is Jesus. Out of this huge mess that we just read about comes the Messiah. Out of this heritage comes hope, and out of this mess comes the Messiah. Tonight, I don't know what your family looks like. I know some of you, right? I, I don't know all of your stories. I don't know what, what your family looks like. I don't know necessarily what your specific mess looks like. But, but some of you tonight, you, you walked in here, and you're coming from divorced parents in a split home. And you have to go to two different houses in two different cities every single week. Holidays are horrible for you. At some point, you had to create a relationship with these people called step-siblings. And now all of a sudden, you find yourself in a home trying to get along with people that you don't even know. Trying to get along with a man who's kind of your dad, but not at all your dad. Trying to get along with someone who you know who your dad is and now he's married to a different woman, your stepmom, and you're trying to navigate all of these conversations and now you're being forced to choose sides, right? Because your mom is saying one thing about your dad and you're like, well, I'm on mom's side. But then the next day your dad is saying this other thing about your mom and now you're on dad's side. And if you're in here and you're coming from a, a split home from divorced parents, you are in somewhat of a mess, but what I know is that the Messiah, Jesus, he's in your mess too. Some of you in here, you're coming from a home where you only have one parent. Dad is completely absent. Mom is completely absent. You, you live with just your mom, a single mom. She's working two jobs. She's trying to like support you and all of your siblings and pay every single bill. You don't even know what it looks like to have a split home because you only have one parent. Some of you in here, you live with both parents. But they might be physically present and emotionally absent, right? Mom and dad are both there physically, but for whatever reason, mom is completely emotionally absent. Dad is completely emotionally absent. Some of you in here, you don't live with either one of your parents. You live with your grandparents. You live with your aunt and uncle because something happened in your life to where your parents could no longer take care of you. Some of you in here are in the foster care system where you're adopted. You've never even met your real parents. Some of y'all in here, you have sibling drama that's like more than just like an argument, right? It's like legit sibling drama that you're not sure will ever go away. Some of you in here, you are the only Christian in your entire family. And in fact, your parents, your siblings, your grandparents, 
they think you're kind of crazy because you come here every single Sunday night. I don't know what your mess looks like, but what I do know is that every family has a story and God is in every single one of those stories. What else I know is because this happened to me is that you are terrified for your future, right? You look at the family that you have right now and all you can think is, if this is what my family looks like now, then what in the world is my future family going to look like? Listen to me, sin is not hereditary. I want you to know that right now, okay? Sin is not hereditary. Just because your parents' marriage failed doesn't mean that yours is going to. Just because you have an absent mom or dad emotionally doesn't mean that you are going to be an absent parent. Just because you're in here and your mom is an alcoholic doesn't mean that you are going to grow up and be an alcoholic. Sin is not hereditary. Break the cycle. Stop making your mess messier. Understand that God is in your story. And the reason I know this is because growing up, I had a messy family on the inside. Everything on the outside was like these first pictures that you saw. Like everything on the outside was, was great and everything on the outside was perfect, but everything going on on the inside of my family was incredibly messy. When I was in the fourth grade, my dad, he had an affair. And I didn't really know what to think about this. I didn't really know what um, exactly was going on. I knew that um, my parents fought a lot I think some of you might be with me there. I knew that my dad wasn't home very often. Um, I knew that there were some nights where like I would hear them and I, I would go sleep in my brother's room because it was like this safe place. Like my room wasn't safe, I was by myself. So I would go and sleep in my brother's room. I didn't really know that much about it. I knew it was messy, but because of the grace of God and some amazing counseling, my parents stayed married. But then when I was 22, I just moved to New Albany. I was about to get married in like four months. It happened again. And this time I, I knew what was happening, right? I was old enough to realize this. This time I knew how to be mad at my dad. I knew how to be like incredibly mad. And I knew how to be upset and I knew how to be worried. Like if this is going on now, what is going to go on in the future? Is my dad going to be at my wedding? Is my mom going to let my dad be at my wedding. I knew exactly, I found out things that were happening before I was born. I found out things that were happening before my brother was even born. I knew that it was messy, but at that time I didn't know fully that Jesus was 100% in that mess. Because of grace and because of Jesus and because of Messiah and because of hope, my parents are still married. My, my sons have a relationship with their grandma. My sons have a relationship with their grandpa. Fast forward a couple years when I was 24, um, my brother got my social security number and he took out $10,000 of credit card debt in my name. That's messy. And a little bit later, like some time went on, like we kind of got blamed for it, which was like really sucky. Like my, it was so messy. I didn't talk to my brother for a really long time. I didn't see my brother for a really long time. We had conversations that we had to have, like, hey, is there any more? How much money is it? How are we going to pay this off? I didn't have a relationship, a real relationship with my brother 
for a really long time, but what I found out eventually was that somehow Jesus was in that mess. And somehow out of that heritage came hope, and somehow out of that mess came Messiah. And now I have a relationship with my brother, and I want you guys to know it's not because of anything that I did. It's all because of what Jesus continues to do in my family. It's all because of what Jesus, the Messiah, continues to show in my family. Did I have to take next steps of forgiveness? Absolutely. Did I have to take next steps of like, man, I don't know how I'm going to talk to them. I don't know how I'm... But Jesus was in that mess, and because Jesus was in that mess, I have a relationship with my brother. My sons know their aunt and uncle. I get to FaceTime my niece and nephew because of Jesus. Everybody look at me right now. I don't know what your mess is. Like, I don't know what your family drama is. I don't know what your dad has done or hasn't done. I don't know if you've ever met your mom. I don't know specifically any of that stuff, but what I do know is this. God is for your family. I want you to hear that. God is for your family. Jesus is in your family, and right now, it may not feel like it at all. Right now, you may, you may be looking at me thinking, you must be crazy. You don't know my story. No, I don't. But what I do know is that God is in that story. Some of you starting tonight need to take the next step of forgiveness when it comes to a family member. Some of you starting tonight might need to just pick up a phone and shoot a text in order to have a relationship restored. Again, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but some of you tonight need to take that next step and say, no, I did not cause this. No, this is not my fault. Yes, this is completely out of my control, but I do know that there are certain things I can control. And starting tonight, I'm gonna stop making my mess messier. And you need to realize when you look around this room, your family might be messed up, but one, you're not the only family messed up, okay? That may not make it easier, that may not make it better, but two, God is in your family. God is in your family. Hope can come out of your family. The Messiah, Jesus, whatever your mess looks like, the Messiah, Jesus, is in that 